Well, there's a lot that we could say about respect, or really the lack of respect that we observe all around us in the living of these days. We live in a culture of disrespect, and regardless of age or state in life, we've seen how persons relate to one another in the retail business, customer service, in the, in the workplace, on the floors of our state and federal governments, or in our streets. We've seen it in social media as well as in our homes. Yes, there's a lot that we could say. Well, Jesus has some things to say, some rather hard words in Matthew chapter 23. It's Holy Week, about midweek of the same week that Jesus will go to the cross to pay our sin debt. And Jesus shares these hard words against the scribes and the Pharisees. In fact, there are eight woes expressed in this chapter, and today we're going to look at the first four. Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 through 22. What is a woe again? It means, alas, woe! Jesus says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 13, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut off the kingdom of heaven. You yourselves do not enter in. You do not allow those who are entering to go in. They refuse to point the Israelites to Jesus. And we saw this back in Matthew chapter 9, verse 32 and following, when a mute demon-possessed man is brought to Jesus. And Jesus casts the demon out, and the mute man speaks, and the crowds, they're amazed, and they're saying nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees say he casts out the demons by the ruler of demons. The crowds, they're amazed. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. And the crowds, they're just, they're going crazy. What are the Pharisees saying? They're saying he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. They are saying that Jesus is in league with Satan. These religious leaders could have pointed the Israelites to Jesus, but they were unable to get past their own pride and selfishness. They themselves refused to draw near to the Son of God. Verse 14, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. In some of your translations, you won't see this verse. Not to worry, this verse was not in some manuscript translations that some, some Bible scholars were using, and, and we've seen this before. This verse was probably inserted from Mark chapter 12, verse 40, or Luke chapter 20, verse 47. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! You devour widows' houses. What does that mean? It's the laying waste to the means of those who, in that culture, were no longer earning a wage, destroying what is left of that one's nest egg, so to speak. The old pulpit commentary reads that women who have lost their natural protector become the prey of these, of these hypocrites. To these they attach themselves, winning them over by flattery and fraud, and persuading them to assist them with their substance to the ruin of their fortunes. 
And we find out also in in this commentary that God had always defended the cause of widows and had urged his people to deal gently and mercifully with widows. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, that the Lord executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the foreigner by giving him food and clothing. Jesus says, you make long prayers for pretense. You're playing pretend with long, pious, holy-sounding prayers. And their false piety builds confidence in that widow who is listening. These scribes, these Pharisees, they're con men. So question, what happens when you play pretend? Jesus says, you will receive greater condemnation. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This is the third woe. They go to the intentional great lengths to find those who would follow them even by forceful means and measures. So what is, a, what is a proselyte? An extreme example of making one a proselyte would be the radical religious extremists that we see on the news who issue the mandate to ones whom they capture. Mandates like convert to our religion or die, renounce your Christian faith or die. And ancient scholars have shared accounts of these early Pharisees' efforts at making proselytes, making them to become Jews. They say things like death, exile, or circumcision. And there's no indication of any real conversions with these proselytes. In fact, one one commentator wrote that these proselytes were regarded as the leprosy of Israel hindering the coming of the Messiah. So the scribe, Pharisee, hypocrite influence is deadly, destructive, and damning. You travel around on sea and land to make one a proselyte. You will go anywhere to find one whom you can groom to be your follower. And when he becomes like you, you actually make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Double damnation on one who follows in your footsteps. So a question, what about our influence? What we're talking about is disrespecting people made in God's image, be they believers like the widow, be they begrudging non-believers like the proselytes, or be they ones who want to believe, those at the door of the kingdom. Do we keep them from the kingdom due to our words or our actions? with our grumbling, with our murmuring, with our comments. Verse 16, the fourth woe. Jesus says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. This is different. Woe to you, blind guides. Woe to you who say, Whoever swears by the temple... That is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. Swearing. What does this mean? What does it mean when you swear by something or someone? 
swear, take an oath, a promise with an oath, obligated, yes, bound by the oath. Is this about value, the value of the temple versus the value of the gold? Well, these next verses are dealing with religious leaders trying to find loopholes through which they can wiggle out of certain oaths and obligations. And Jesus says in verse 17, You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Jesus endears himself further to these scribes and Pharisees. You fools and blind men, you can't see. Or is it that you can't see or you won't see? Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? The gold or what goes on inside the temple? The value of material things or the value of worship? These religious leaders miss the heart of Scripture. These blind guides are profaning the temple of God, the house of God. Verse 18, and these hypocrites, they, they go on to say, whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he's obligated. What does the Old Testament say about the altar of God? Way back in Exodus chapter 29, verse 37, we read, For seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Then the altar shall be most holy. And whatever touches the altar shall be holy. The altar of offering is sanctified. It's set apart. That's what sanctified means. It's set apart for worship. And these ones making the offering, they esteem themselves higher and their offerings higher than the altar of God itself. They hold their self-righteousness higher than the things of God. And Jesus says there in 19, You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? What's more important, the money in the offering plate on the altar or the altar on which the offering is sanctified, is set apart for the glory of God? Therefore, Jesus says in verse 20 and following, Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Whoever... Jesus is saying, whoever, if you're swearing by the altar, it's both the altar and everything on it. If you're swearing by either the temple or by heaven, you're swearing by both and also by the Lord. The Lord of the temple. Who is the Lord of the throne of heaven? You know, it sounds like it's just better not to swear, doesn't it? Listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you. And the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin in you. You shall be careful to perform what goes out of your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. 
way back in Matthew chapter 5, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus quotes these words of Moses there in verse 33. Again, you have heard what the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything else beyond these is of evil. In Ellicott's commentary, we see a little more information. The context shows that the sin which our Lord condemned was the light use of oaths in common speech, and with no real thought as to their meaning. Such oaths practically involved irreverence, and were therefore inconsistent with the fear of God. The real purpose of an oath is to intensify that fear by bringing the thought of God's presence home to men at the very time they take these oaths. And to use them lightly is therefore to profane the holy name which they imply. Men do not guard themselves either against irreverence or perjury by such expedients. And we see oaths in the New Testament. What did Paul say later in, in the New Testament? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, But I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth. Uh, what about Jesus when he was on trial after his arrest? We'll see this later in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 59, we read the following. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus. Again, this is after his arrest. So that they might put Jesus to death. They did not find any false testimony, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said about Jesus. This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest says to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God, oh, that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is no longer silent. He says to the high priest, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Don't bring the Lord into this kind of conversation lightly. We have to keep in mind what is preparing to come out of our mouths beforehand when pointing to the Lord and the things of the Lord. We, we will read later on in James chapter 5, verse 12, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by the earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Hard words. We're talking about judgment. We've been talking about swearing by the altar, by the temple, by heaven itself. Isaiah 66 verse 1 
says this. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? (laughs) For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. We've been talking about disrespect, disrespecting people, people made in God's image, be they believers or non-believers or those who want to believe. We've we've been talking about disrespecting worship and the things of God, the, the temple of God, the altar of God. We've been talking about disrespecting God himself. Do you remember at the end of the last chapter... In Matthew chapter 22, when the Pharisees asked Jesus what was the great and foremost commandment, Jesus gave them two, loving God and loving your neighbor. Loving and respecting people made in God's image. And loving and respecting God himself. Do you remember what we just read when the high priests were swearing oaths during Jesus' trial, when the high priest says to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God, and Jesus replies, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. You see, there's coming a day when the Lord, the Son of Man, will return. And he wants us to be ready. Jesus taking our sins to the cross gave us his righteousness, the righteousness required for us to stand before a holy God. We need the righteousness of the Lord because we're all sinners. The price, the wage of our sin is death. But friends, the good news is this, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, by dying on the cross, paid the price of the wages of our sin. And God showed us his great love by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And if you and I can come to the place that we understand that as sinners that we deserve death and that we need a Savior, and if we can step past our pride to trust in Jesus being the only one who could die for us and be restored to life, If we confess our sin and our need for Him, if we trust in that and we have the belief, the faith that Jesus can pull all of this off, we can have a relationship of peace with God and a home in heaven when life on earth is through.